We all have questions. Some are humorous. I can't wait to get to heaven and say, Lord Jesus, why porcupines and armadillos? Why is the neck of a giraffe so long? And I'm sure you have others. Some are haunting. Like, why is there so much suffering and hatred in the world? Where is God in the midst of suffering? Some questions come with an admission of guilt. How do I stop drinking? How do I stop spending? Why can't I forgive? To ask a lot of questions is to admit we have a problem. And so Facebook has now come up with this new phrase, asking for a friend. I guess really we've done this a long time. You know, we say to our friends, you know, I don't have this problem, but... I have this friend that has a problem. Today, and, and by the way, thank you for those of you who posted questions on the website. We do appreciate that. Um, I think the most compelling question as we begin is the question, why can't I change? Why can't I change? And by the way, speaking of change, you probably notice I have a clergy robe on today. Occasionally we wear a clergy robe for Holy Communion. And as we begin the new year, Cindy and I discussed that would it be appropriate for, for us to wear our robes today as we uh, begin this new year together and as we offer ourselves to God for the year 2020. So we're not changing. It's just a little different today. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts Be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Hide me behind the cross, O God, that these words may be your words. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Dr. Zan Holmes, uh, professor at Perkins School of Theology, pastor at St. Luke's United Methodist Church. I've heard him tell this story at least three times. He was a student pastor. He was uh, driving back and forth to seminary trying to get his education. And he had a dog that he loved. Well, living in a parsonage, he didn't feel it was appropriate to keep the dog in the house. And there wasn't a fence in the backyard. And so he put a stake in the middle of the, of, of the backyard and put a long chain. So the dog could basically get to the back door, could get to the bushes, could for shade. And... But the dog was um, very excitable. And, and Dr. Holmes said he was so, so excited to come home and to see his dog. And the dog would run around and around and around the stake. So much so that he, <laughs> the dog beat a path in a circle. Late one afternoon, he came in from school and he looked in the backyard And the chain was broken. And he thought, oh my goodness, my dog has run away. What am I going to do? And so he immediately runs out of the backyard. And out from under the bushes comes the dog. And he runs over to the path. And he goes around and around and around and around. (laughs) We are like that. 
bound by chains, but when the chains are gone, we continue the same behavior. Why can't I change? The Apostle Paul deals with this issue in, in, in several of his letters, but in particularly in 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that our hope is found only as Christ is the center of our lives. When the presence of Christ becomes one with us, so the person that we have been created by God to be be, is more easily achievable. It is possible to change. In Colossians, Paul uses a Greek word that's translated toil and struggle. He talks about the process of change as a toil and a struggle. And the, the root for the Greek word that is used there is agonizon. Agonizon, from which we get our word agony. Change is agony. Does that sound familiar? It says this, For this I toil and struggle with all the energy that he powerfully inspires within me. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that our power is not from our own strength, but it comes from God, the one who powerfully inspires within me. We're limited in this broken world to fully change. We are desperately in need of the presence of Christ. Desperately. You've heard me say this before and I will say it again and again. I do not understand how people can say that they are spiritual but not religious. For that is an indication that they have no concept of the power of Jesus Christ. And that power that is made manifest through the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And his power is within us and among us. And we are united together not only to seek the change from above, but to support the change within each other. Now, Paul mentions in uh, 2 Corinthians the strongholds. Strongholds. There is a struggle between what God has created and what the world wants us to be. We're constantly being bombarded by demands, advertisements, by requests for our time and attention. From birth, everyone wants to tell us not only who we are, but what we need to do. In 2 Corinthians, in verse 4, Paul addresses these strongholds that stand in the way of positive change. Here's what he says. For the weapons of our warfare are not merely human, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. Paul states that there are places in our lives that exist these strongholds. God wants to be a part of our struggle. Uh, the Greek word akaroma, which is translated stronghold, 
literally means to be locked up, to be imprisoned, to be paralyzed. That's the human condition. That's the human condition for so many of us. And if you don't believe me, if you made a New Year's resolution, how long is it going to take? If any of you ever kept a New Year's resolution, anybody? You have. Tell us about it. <laughs> and you, do you, forever? My goodness. Can everybody give her a hand? That's really incredible. Why in the world you'd want to quit drinking Coke, I have no idea. I don't know in what way it really changed your life or your relationships, but congratulations. For most of us, the reason why New Year's resolutions fail is that we try to do it on our own. The strongholds are holding us hostage. It is not a human struggle. It is a spiritual struggle. And the good news is we have a divine power at our disposal. And when we use that power, Paul says the strongholds will be pulled down into extinction. Hmm. Hmm. There is a divine power to change. And as Christians, we have that advantage. We have the advantage to partner with God, to partner with each other. And the question we all have to ask is, what does God really want from us? Does God really want us to quit drinking Cokes? Thank you for that. I'm just I'm kind of, you know, what is it that God really wants us to change? What is God's will for us? And are we willing to make the changes to claim that will? So based on my study of Paul... Let me make this recommendation for the new year. Do you really want to change? Is there something in your life that needs to change? First, identify the issue. Name it. Name it. What are the positives to change? What are the negatives if we don't change? Write it down. And take responsibility. It's not my spouse's fault. It's not my kid's fault. It's not my parents' fault. It's not my boss's fault. It's not my teacher's fault. It's my issue. Second, admit the weakness. We cannot do it alone. Every organization that is successful in making significant changes in people's lives, the first step is to admit our weakness, to admit that we cannot do it. Admit our weakness. Admit then our need for God. And this is critical. 
unless we admit our need for God, it only takes about six weeks for a change to drift back into the old behavior. I think that's why Paul says in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's not talking about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in terms of making a whole lot of money. He's not talking about, uh, what Paul is talking about here is that I can overcome those strongholds through Christ who strengthens me. Next, find an accountability partner. That's who we are as a church. Someone that's going to hold us accountable to admit to that person what the need is. To admit to that person um, what, what your weakness is. And to open the door that you will hold each other accountable. And then pray and release. There's two types of prayer that I recommend to people who are really looking for change in their life. One is to find some, some scripture, and I love the Psalms. And when, when you're tempted, when you're pushed, to have, those song, to have those scriptures memorized, to be able to say them over and over again. And the second is to have a phrase. That I, through God, with the help of Jesus Christ... And my accountability partner will stand against this. And to pray it over and over again. To pray and to release. Pray and to release. As we come for Holy Communion today. Really Holy Communion is about our willingness to lay our lives at the feet of Jesus to say, I need you. I cannot live without you. I am yours and you are mine. And, and as you come today, we put, the, we put the baptistry down here in the middle. On this first Sunday of the month, I w- would encourage you as you come to dip your fingers in the water and touch your head to remember your baptism. To remember That we are baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That we are marked. We are marked by God. That we are not marked by this world. We are not marked by the habits of, of what is around us. We are marked by a Holy One. And then to receive together this meal of grace. My Old Testament professor, Dr. W.J.A. Powers, um, told the story of being on an archaeological dig in Jericho. And he was making the point to us, the importance in the Middle East, particularly in those areas of the Holy Land, of, of the importance of eating together. They, by the way, those of, of, of that culture are appalled that we would go to McDonald's and just eat with anybody around us. I'm serious. I mean, it's not just the food for them. To eat with someone is to say to that person, you are important to me. We are family. We are together. And we can depend on each other. He was in Jericho waiting on a bus. And he went to the 
the, the uh, bus station and sm- very small village there. And, and uh, the, uh, the, they still use numbers uh, that, sim- that are symbolic. And the, the number 40 in, in the Middle East means that you really don't know how long it's going to be, but it's going to be a while. And so he, he went up to the counter and he said, I need a, I, I need a bus uh, a t- a ticket to Jerusalem. And the man said, well, he said, the bus will be here, but it'll be about 40 minutes. And so he thought, okay, 40 minutes, I guess I better just find a place to wait. So there was a park across the street and he sat down over there and there was a 12 or 14 year old boy that was there. And... Uh, as he was sitting there, he had a, a, a snack with him. And, of course, his, his research, he was beginning to go through his research. But he got really kind of connected with this boy. And so he called out to him. And he said, I would like to meet you. And the boy came over, and he had uh, spoke broken Arabic. He was, he was Jewish, so he knew Hebrew. And Dr. Powers knew Hebrew, so they could speak that fairly well. Um, but the boy wanted to work on his English. And so for the next hour, they talked and shared back and forth. Family, dreams, what the boy hoped to be and to do in the future, what Dr. Powers hoped to find there in Jericho. He shared with the boy his belief in Jesus Christ. And the boy was open to hear the story of Jesus. At the end of uh, their time, when the bus arrived, the boy, Haram, took out of his sack a pomegranate, and he broke it. And Dr. Powers said he held it in front of him, and he handed Dr. Powers one half. And Dr. Powers knew what he was doing. This was powerful. He was offering that they would eat together, that they would share a meal, though simple, together. And as Dr. Power took it and as he took a bite, Haram said to him, from now on, we are friends. We are connected. And any time that you are in Jericho and you are in need or in trouble, you can call on me. They know where I live at the bus station. Call on me. And Dr. Power looked at him and he said, And the same is true for you, young man. If you ever have the chance to come to America, I want to know. And I will drive what, or go wherever it is. For with this, together, we are connected for a life. As we come to share Holy Communion, we make the same claim. We make the claim that in this cup and in this bread, that we are connected forever with Jesus Christ. And as we come to the altar and share with each other, so we are connected to each other. How can anyone say that they are spiritual but not religious For we are family. And I pray for you that as you come and be a part of this church, 
that you can turn around and know that there are people in this place that through the power of Jesus' blood and his body, that no matter where we are, we can call on one another in the name of Jesus. And we will be there for you. For on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sought to eat the Passover meal with his closest associates, the twelve. And after the meal was over, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and drink from this, all of you. For this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And from that day, we have broken the bread and we have blessed the cup in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for this meal unites us with the Jesus of the cross and with each other that no matter what comes in life we are together in Christ let us pray so Lord God in the breaking of this bread and the blessing of this cup we pray your presence upon us may we renew both our relationship with you And with each other in these moments. For as we take this bread and this cup. May the the sacred presence of your son fill us. Renew us and change us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.